You were born with individual strengths and a unique purpose. Don't let fears, false beliefs, or life's happenings diminish your influence. It's time to live and lead for impact. Host Kirsten Ross, expert of transformation, will help you defeat the drama and overcome the trauma that can stop you in your tracks. You'll gain focus, find confidence, and take bold action. Unleash passionate, purposeful you. Let's go. Welcome to Live and Lead for Impact. I'm Kirsten Ross Vogel, your host, and this is episode 273. Today, I have I Know What I Need, and I'm you can't see me, but she can right now. I think I'm doing my Zen fingers a little bit. <laughs> um, so she is Kathy Kasani Adams. She co-hosts the Zen Parenting Radio Podcast. There you have it, that Zen piece. And is author of Zen Parenting, Caring for Ourselves and Our Children in an Unpredictable World. Uh, and wow, has it been even especially unpredictable lately? and living what you want your kids to learn the power of self-aware parenting, which won a Nautilus award, national India excellence award, and an international book award. She's a clinical social worker, certified parent coach, former elementary school educator and yoga teacher. I love that combination. I think mm. they should all have that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Kathy teaches in the sociology criminology department at Dominican university, and she lives outside of Chicago with her husband, Todd, and their three daughters. Welcome, Kathy. Thanks so much for joining me. Thank you, Kirsten. I'm so excited to be here. And I'm excited too. Uh, again, I think just we all need a little bit of Zen and I'm an empty nester now. So I'm definitely in a different oh. part of parent. And actually my sons live in Chicago, so they're kind of closer to you than they are to me right now. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, but so I think everyone needs some Zen. So tell me about your really important work and the impact that you're making in the world. Well, I am, well, I want to start first with your son. It's just the fact that they're here outside of Chicago and you're an empty nester because my first daughter just went to college this year. And so just the impact of that and how that feels and how that shifts every dynamic in your, in your life. Oh my gosh. I mean, and it's, and it's wonderful. You know, it's like literally the definition of bittersweet, you know, like where it's just wonderful and it's exactly what you wanted to do. And it was exactly the hope, but my goodness, um, it's been an interesting year as far as enjoyment, grief, change. But I will say that, you know, starting with my family, um, as you said, I have three girls. One is in college um, in Michigan. And then my daughter, Cameron is 17. She's in high school. And then my daughter, Skylar is 14 and she's in middle school. So I have three teenage daughters right now. And since they have been born, I've basically been doing the work that I've been doing. It's just taken on iterate, you know, different iterations. So I'm a, I'm a therapist, I'm a clinical social worker. And that has kind of always been the basis of my career. As you said, I used to be an elementary school teacher. And that's what I did first. But I realized that everything I was doing with my students, I was mostly with kindergartners or fifth graders. And I just wanted to talk about their emotions and their feelings and their challenges. And I was often working with kids who had a lot of challenges. So I knew I wanted to go back to school to really focus on that rather rather than reading and math with them. And so I worked in a hospital setting for a long time um, in uh, inpatient partial hospitalization, more crisis oriented um, as far as, you know, it was child and family therapy, but it was definitely more crisis oriented. And then when I had my first daughter, I realized that I still wanted to work with parents, but not in such a crisis management way. I wanted to do things that were maybe, you know, so I could manage being at home with my daughter, but still help parents. So I went back to school to become a parent coach, which is now very common. When I did it, it was, you know, there was a lot of like, what is that? You know, coaching was kind of a newer field, but I kind of, now I blend the coaching and the therapeutic, you know, when working with people, 
because both obviously have value and depending on the situation, have interesting ways of taking people on whatever journey they're going on. But then about 11 years ago, I had written my first book. It was self-published. I was basically just using it for my clients, you know, just something to offer to them. But I did an interview with someone who said, you should do a podcast and talk about, you know, what it means to be a self-aware parent or whatever. And they're like, but you need to find a partner to do it with you so you can have a discussion back and forth. And so I signed up my husband before he even knew that he was being signed up, but he was wonderful about it because we have these talks all the time. So Todd and I started Zen Parenting Radio about 11 years ago, and it hit, and we continue to do it. It's 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 wonderful. I mean, you as a podcaster, you know, I'm, I'm sure you feel the same way. It's just really fun to have these conversations and discussions. And then I've continued to write. I continue to teach. I teach at a university and I talk about, you know, like the core of what I talk about is connection, self-awareness, emotional regulation, and compassion. So, you know, really, if I were to pull together everything, those are the the dominant discussions in everything that I do. Thank you. Well, so one, I need to circle back. Where is your daughter in Michigan? So oh. now I'm in Michigan. So maybe your daughter's like kind of near me. <laughs> she is in Grand Rapids at a Grand Valley State University. Okay. Okay. Yes. Yep. Yes. Yep. Couple hours for me then. Yes. Um, so that's awesome. And I also, you know, just as the emptiness, I feel like there are likely, kind of cautionary tales that we can tell as, well, you're not an empty nester, but like even once they launch, because mm-hmm. really the foundational pieces that you put in place become, I think, even more important yes. um, because you have to transition your relationship. We're definitely, we don't have that same authority anymore in their lives. And the hope is that we get the privilege of being in a consultative role, but that happens through the hard work that we do during the parenting piece. Now this is, I'm not the probe. I am a coach by the way, Mm -hmm. for 20 years, but more on the leadership side. But honestly, I still share stories, illustrative stories of when my kids were little as a parenting (laughs) or as a leadership. Yeah, because leadership is also very similar in some ways to parenting. But anyway, don't you think that I feel like sometimes by sharing that feeling of transitioning to consultative, and again, it becomes a privilege, especially once because mine are both out of college, even now, you know, it truly is a privilege, I don't get to dictate anything. And the Mm -hmm. only reason that I get to still speak into their lives and have the relationship that I have, I believe is because of the work that I did while I was parenting them. 100%. You know, that's the thing. I love the language that you're using, because it really it is a it is a transition and it does start early and it doesn't mean, and sometimes when I say that to parents and they have kids who are already in high school, they're like, Oh, maybe then I blew it and I can't do it. You can start whenever, but you can start it early with, you know, it's really basic things about making sure that their opinion is heard, making sure that you're valuing what they're sharing, making sure that they have choice in situations, you know, that they are listening to their own, you know, um, sense of self, their own intuition, that you are a supportive figure in their life. Like one of the, the things that, you know, that's been really important to me as, as a mother is, has been to make sure that my kids know that I have their back. And that doesn't always mean that everything they do is great and that I'm on board with all of their choices. It just means when it comes down to it, I have your back. And so how are we going to work through this together rather than as, you know, expecting them to somehow accommodate me or expecting them to follow some kind of path that I have laid down for them? Because my path has been my path. And they have their own. So what I'm trying to learn how, you know, what I'm trying to instill or what I'm trying to create through our relationship is trust your, trust your own path. Like, you know, the thing, and then I can be, as you said, the supportive guiding figure when they're 14 
when they're 16, 17, 20, 25, like, and onward, like we're parenting is really about developing a relationship with another human being. And we sometimes forget that we think we're growing another human being. We're not, they're going to grow on their own. We are developing a relationship so we can be that kind of supportive figure in their life. And the trust that you're building along the way and being that advocate. I know when my kids were younger, I would say like, I need the information. I need you to trust me and tell me when you have something going on, because if I'm not armed with information, I can't go or help you in any way, be an advocate for you too. So awesome. I, oh, I'm just so in love with the work that you're doing. So what experiences motivated you to kind of make this shift first, like out of elementary school? And then I love too that. I mean, I can imagine, and I'm sure you'll tell us, Mm -hmm. but like when you're in the big, like kind of trauma times for parenting versus what you're doing now, which is probably more empowering and, um, and all of that, maybe helping parents avoid those times. Well, not that we can 100% avoid them, but we can have a stronger foundation if they come up, if we do the things that you teach. Absolutely. You know, the, the things that it was kind of like, you know, however many years ago before I had my daughter. So 19 years ago, um, when I was working in a hospital setting, it's like, you are face to face with the situation when it's gotten to its peak, right? Where, when, and it doesn't mean the parents haven't tried other things. You know, it doesn't mean that there sometimes crisis occurs and there's not a thing we could have done about it there. You get to a point where that becomes then the moment where we start to make change, but to your, you know, kind of like what you said, what I did realize is there were a lot of families I was working with that if certain things could have been tried or in place, maybe it wouldn't have gotten to this point. And it was very, you know, and the thing is, is parents are often looking for this magic thing. Like, where do I send them or who do I have them talk to when really a lot of it is again, I'm going to use this word again, relationship, the ability to listen and value what your child has to say, to believe them when they say they're struggling in a certain area or to not, you know, on the other side, to not impose your fears on your child, like a really basic one that, you know, is that like a lot of times I would work with parents who would say things like, oh, I was really shy when I was growing up. So I'm going to make sure that my kid is involved in a lot of things and that I make sure that they talk to adults and do all these things. And so the parent is bringing a lot of their challenges from their history and then deciding they're going to make their kid into something different than who they were as a child out of fear that their child may have the same challenges they did. When the truth is they may be shy in certain situations. Shyness is not a problem, but there's this unawareness, like this inability to separate. I'm kind of using my hands as I do this, where they feel too, they're kind of working through their own things while they're with their child versus seeing their child as an individual with their own challenges, with their own strengths. It's not just about challenges and then working with them from that point. That's why everything I write about or talk about is about self-awareness, because if you as a parent or, you know, in work or in any aspect in, in your partnership, if you don't have an awareness of why you're doing what you're doing, why you're saying what you're saying and why you are baby being triggered or, or certain challenges feel more daunting, then you will impose all of that on other people. You know, that's, it's just, there's no way around this. This isn't like a, you know, it is therapeutic in nature, but it really is just human behavior. If you really don't understand yourself, then other people will be at the mercy of your feelings and challenges because you will, that will be your lens on the world. So this gets a little heady, but it it really is. It starts with self-awareness when we're with our kids, as far as can we see them as separate from ourselves? And can we see how they trigger us because of our history, our fears, our challenges, and that 
while we're parenting, not only are we parenting our kids, we're kind of reparenting ourselves as far as recognizing things and how we have more control now than we did as kids. That is so interesting. And um, it's funny because when I first start working with a client, one of one of our first challenges almost always is removing fear um, because, you know, anyone who has fear driving them, they're running from something instead of powerfully towards something. But I had never thought in the context of parenting that, (laughs) that if fear's driving you, it's also Mm -hmm. driving your parenting and ultimately kind of what you're trying to get your kids to do. So that is so interesting. So -hmm. if you can think back to, I know there's been many, but like one specific circumstance that comes to mind where you really made an impact for Mm -hmm. a parent or family and just kind of take us down the journey of, you know, the before the journey, the after, what did you make happen? You know, I would say, and this has happened over and over again, so I can kind of bring, you know, create an amalgam here, but, you know, maybe talk about some specific, you know, feedback that I've gotten. I think the thing that has been most helpful to parents that is interestingly born out of my history, which is my history is that I've always been very sensitive. I've always been very, you know, there's a lots of words for it now. Like I'm very empathic, which sometimes people call being an empath. And all that really means is I feel a lot of what people are feeling, which as when you're a child, that's very daunting. And that's not great. That can be very overwhelming. That can make you feel sick. That can bring on headaches, depression. Like it's not always great if you don't have boundaries, you know, there's, and and especially as a child, I'm a Gen Xer. And so I grew up with being told you're too sensitive, right? Nobody really wanted to hear my feelings or why I was struggling with things. And the reason I talk about that is that's kind of a positive, that's a thing from my history that was challenging and, and hard and I had to work through, but is now my strength. And so I talk a lot about the importance of understanding feelings, of regulating, of, I love all of these new researchers, you know, like Susan David now talks about emotional granularity and emotional agility, and they all have a similar component, which is our emotions are fine. There's no good or bad emotions. They all have a purpose. They all have a reason. We don't need to run from feelings. We just need to understand them. And they are what, you know, Susan Cain has a new book out called Bittersweet that I just finished last night. And it's all about that sadness and longing are essential in understanding how we love. Like we don't get to just pick and choose our emotional expression. And why this has been helpful with parents is that, again, it's a rehealing for them in that a lot of parents believe, especially when they're raising kids, that that, that things should be joy-filled and that if there's a challenge, they did something wrong. And if their kid's in pain, then they drop the ball. And if if their life didn't go, the path didn't go the way that they expected it to, that they somehow failed. And all of this, all of those thoughts and feelings is what leads to even more challenge in the family, because then there's a lot of resentment and there's a lot of, I should be different. And then we get into these words that we've been dealing with forever, but from the, with the pandemic, especially a lot of anxiety, a lot of depression, a lot of dealing with unpredictability and, and then it becomes kind of an implosion. So the feedback that I tend to get the most from my clients and people who listen to the show is thank you for talking about that. These feelings are okay. Thank you for not telling me, telling my kid, you know, helping me understand that I don't need to tell my kid to buck up and get over it, that I can actually sit with them when they're sad, you know, sit with them when things are dark and not feel like I I need to solve it or that they aren't being grateful. You know, there's a lot of beliefs we have, like our kids should be like, you know, the, I always say that parents, the, the, the thing they love to hear is when we say to our kids, Hey, how are you? And they're like, fine. We're like, Ooh, good. Okay. They're fine today. Like I don't have to, you know, because my scorecard is awesome. (laughs) 
exactly. I'm like, today I've got an A. And, and there's two pieces to that. Number one, we can be grateful in the moment when our kids are doing well. There's nothing wrong with that. But a lot of times our kids have learned to say fine because they know we really can't handle anything else. Because if they say, well, I'm struggling, we'll be like, why? Didn't you study? Didn't you go here? Don't you, did you sit by your friend at lunch? Like we get so caught up in it that they have learned to say fine. Or if they really are struggling with something, what you just said at the beginning about, we really want our kids to come to us and we really want to be a safe space for them. But a lot of times, and I you know, find this with my college students and I work with teenagers a lot too, is they're like, my parents are the last people I would go to because of the amount of judgment I'm going to feel, the amount of shame I'm going to feel, the fact that maybe they told me not to do something and I did it anyway. And so now I'm kind of lost in that, you know, in that my own guilt and shame, and I'm not going to tell them because they'll pile it on. And that while that's understandable, it is our hope is that our kids know no matter what, that we are still a safe resource for them. So this is, you know, I, I would say like, I have so many individual experiences where someone has just came to me and they said, you know, last night could have turned into a big fight with my daughter, but instead I stopped talking and I listened and I sat with some really difficult things that she said about her own life and even about me. And I was able to sit with it and listen and say, I hear you. And then she was better. You know, then she felt better. And instead of it blowing up into something, it was like, and it doesn't mean everything's resolved and perfect. It just allowed everybody to reconnect. And so that's probably that version of that story is what I hear the most. I love that. You know, um, thinking back to my, and I wish, you know, of course, there's always things you like, oh, I wish I could have done that better. Woulda, coulda, shoulda. But I also think back, can we talk a little bit about, and I can't imagine with social media now. So, you know, I'm, all, and so are you, like when our kids were babies, we weren't on Facebook and Twitter watching the, the perfect the perfect version of everyone's life. But even so, any of our play groups, any of our parenting, anything, there's so much comparison in the beginning. And so, I mean, you know, the potty training and, and of course, when things are happening so fast and furious in those first few years, it's so easy to start to think like, oh my gosh, my child is falling behind. Right. Um, in that sense of, you know, I, I hesitate to use the word competition, but there's a lot of comparing going on. And, and if you're a new parent, like all the weight of wanting like the validation that you're doing a good job and how do you get it? And like, what are some of the strategies that you share with, especially in the world of social media right now for newer parents? You know, I think the tool that works the best in all of these situations is compassion. And I want to start with self-compassion because it really is a tool. It's a practice. It's not just, Hey, I'm compassionate. It's something you really figure out how to do in the moment, because the first part of self-compassion is understanding everything you just described is what we've been trained to do since we started school right? So we have gone to school and we've been told, be the best, achieve, learn, read more, be better than other people. We, you and I grew up in the self-esteem movement where it was like, don't just be better, be the best and figure out how to be the best. And then once you're best, you're valued. And there's so, and then you get into the workplace and it's the same thing. Climb the ladder, get your office. Like I was so, I went and got my master's degree. I went, I did all these steps to be like, I am successful. And then we have a child and I laugh because that's not how it worked with human beings. Like the, the identity crisis that I had when I had my daughter and I write about it in the book, it's like unbelievable. Like I had, and first of all, just the idea that I decided to stay home first, you know, I kind of cut to the chase when I said, oh, and then I became a parent coach. That was a year and a half after I was home with my daughter. So I like had such an identity crisis of who am I? And like, what's my value? Because I've learned that I'm climbing this ladder. So then we try to impose that on our children. I got my bed, my, you know, my kid to sleep at one o'clock. They took their three naps. They 
they, you know, oh, they're eating this on this time. You know, I nursed for nine months. I nursed for two years. I didn't nurse at all, whatever we're trying to compare. And so why I'm using compassion is first, we have to realize how we've been trained in this way, instead of being really self-flagellating about how, how could I have done that? Well, it kind of makes sense when you think about how we've been taught, but then the big shift is when we do become parents, that there is a difference in how we understand. Let me say it this way. Success means something different. So the whole idea of what it means to be successful becomes very, it's about connection. It's about smiles. It's about health. It's about, it's about being, feeling safe. It's about emotional safety. It's about when a child is struggling, were you able to show up for them and be with them rather than force them to sleep? So you could tell everybody that you're getting your kid to bed on time. Like it becomes very different. And so the self-compassion that I can explain to you, and this is actually Kristen Neff's uh, research. So this is hers, but the three components of it are number one, mindfulness. Are you being present with what's happening right now versus what you think is going to happen in the future? A lot of parents are very worried. Their kid hits someone when they're two years old and they're like, now my kid's going to be a bully. There's no truth to that. If you're mindful, your kid who's two figured out that they hit a kid when they're holding a toy and then they get the toy, it works, right? And then we have to help them with the values of that, that that's not really helpful. And, you know, but we just stay mindful with them. The second piece is self-kindness. How are you treating yourself internally? You know, are you treating yourself like you would a friend or are you completely ripping yourself apart inside about how you are as a parent or as a human being? Because sometimes I have those moments where I'm like, would the things I'm saying to myself right now, which I still do this by the way, but I have this practice at least. Would I say this to a friend? Like if my friend came and told me this problem, would I be like, yeah, you are the worst person and you dropped the ball. Or would I say, yeah, you know, this kind of thing happens. And then the last piece is the common humanity piece, which is common humanity is does this happen to other people? Like, am I alone in this? Like, am I the only one who spilled coffee this morning? Or did a lot of people do that? Am I the only one who has forgotten to like, and, you know, and I use this one because this like killed me. There's been times where I forgot to pick up my kids. Like where I've been like, oh my God, it's 310 and school got out at three and I just have lost it. Like, and this is when they were little, but I did it more than once. Like, I think like where I just was lost in my own stuff. And then once I got there, I felt horrible beating myself up. And then I was like, you know what? First of all, they're okay and safe. Second of all, it's happened before. And this is now how I'll remember. Like, this is now not going to happen again. Like I'm learning, I'm growing, I'm a human too. And these like, and sometimes it can be more daunting than just forgetting to pick a kid up at the right time. Like it can be really significant significant things. So self-compassion, I feel like is now that's not the end because each of those have, you know, their own worlds when we get into mindfulness and self-kindness and such, but that's, that's how I began. And I, I share that because I really do that. Like, that's not something I'm just trying to teach. I have to use that on a daily basis. And I even put my hand on my heart while I do it just to kind of decrease the loudness in my head and how frustrated I get and overwhelmed. And, you know, this compassion that we create in ourselves is what we then create space for when it comes to our kids, our partner, you know, the more we practice it, the more we offer it. Awesome. I love all of that. And I can relate to so much because mm-hmm. I too, uh, when my oldest was um, just a few months, well, I, w- I went part-time and then I pulled out of the workforce altogether mm-hmm. and just that whole, yeah, you're not you know, the things definitely (laughs) aren't there and there's not like promotional opportunities. Like, you know, yeah, I had the office with the windows and, um, and I mean, I used to be smart and know what I was doing (laughs) and now I'm questioning everything and I'm logging like diaper scale, you know, (laughs) 
So, oh my gosh, I love that. Well, I am sure that um, anyone listening is going to be so appreciative of that, of the information that you just shared. Tell me what has been your biggest internal or external challenge as you work to make this amazing impact in the world? Probably the feeling of you know, it's funny because I was talking about how when we're with our kids, you know, we want to make sure they're heard. And the thing that I struggle with the most is I want to make sure this is like, this is, do you do anything about Enneagram, Kirsten? Like, do you do anything about that? Like, do you know? I know the stuff, but my brain, my brain helps that my clients figure this stuff out, but yeah. Yes. And the only reason I bring that up is I could bring up, you know, all sorts of Myers-Briggs and everything, but I just, it kind of helps people understand that I, I am a two. There's things that are very important to me about helping people and making sure that I hear people, but there's also a shadow side to every like Enneagram number or any kind of personality type where I also am very concerned that people understand that I'm trying to do a good thing. Okay. And the reason I say this is sometimes when you're a podcaster or I'm a writer or I'm a teacher, you know, I can talk about something and be like, yeah, do this or offer this. And people will have their own life experience where they'll say, yeah, that sounds great. But that doesn't work for me because of ABC and they're not wrong. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not going to try and overpower and say, no, you're just not doing it well enough. Like the hard part about being behind a microphone or, or being a writer is you can't incorporate every single person's story. And I struggle with that when it comes to inequality, when it comes to race, when it comes to LGBTQ, when it comes to all of the, I want to make sure that I'm, I'm using principles that are universal enough where people can find themselves and see themselves in these. And I, and in that area, I am a work in progress because, you know, I, I, my, the blessing is as my life as a social worker, which has been 20 years, I have been able to work with so many different communities, so many different age groups, so many different people. So I feel like I, I've been, you know, integrated in some ways, but there's no way. And I'm saying this to anybody who coaches or is a parent, you cannot know everybody's experience. And even if you're an empathetic person, you have to be able to listen to their experience and recognize how, even with your beautiful principles, it may not always work or fit. And that doesn't mean you're not helpful. It just means that we need to make sure that we are sharing our best and, you know, what we believe works, but also recognizing that it is depending on the person or the situation, we may have more to learn. You know, that's, and I, you know, and you have grown up children too. Like my kids tell me things now where they're like, mom, not the right word, mom, that's not going to help in this situation, mom. And, and I am not thinking, oh, these kids, they're so disrespectful. I'm thinking, thank you. Like, I want to make sure when I'm speaking to people, people that I am sharing in a way that I can be heard, that, that I am, that I'm helpful rather than hurting someone with like expectation. You know, I, I remember one of the books that I had when my kids were really little and I, I kind of alluded to this, but was about, you know, this is the sleep habits your kids should have. And I think it was by a doctor who's from Chicago, by the way, great book. I'm not ripping on the book, but there were times I wanted to burn it because I'm like, okay, my kids are not doing what you're saying. So what does that mean? I and have a so- feeling that you're talking about the book that I don't not like, and, um, <laughs> We yeah, won't you know what it, I'm but it was about. big around the time, you know, you got it <laughs> around you know. that time. And I did not follow and I was nursing too. So no way, but anyway, go ahead. Right. Well, in that you and I, like, we don't even have to say it. And we're like, you know, we know how that book made us feel. So sometimes when I'm doing a podcast and I'm, you know, sharing in this way, just like I am with you. And then I get an email and they'll say, that's great. But what about this? And my experience has been this. And I'm like, you're right. 
like, and not you're right. Like I shouldn't speak anymore, but like, I value what you have to say like this. And, and, and at the same time, two things, you know, paradoxical, two things can be true at once. I do believe that there are steps that can be taken and that there are dynamics that can be changed. And at the same time, I hear your story and it is not as simple as maybe sometimes the way I'm, I'm talking about it. Yeah. The nuances yeah. for sure. Yes. I was thinking too, uh, while you were talking about the tests, even those it's funny. Cause I, I don't do the test, but like a lot of times I'll, you know, I'm working with businesses. And so sometimes they've done the test or they want right. to do the test. And the thing about the test that gets, that can get like twisted inside of organizations and personal relationships too, is for sure. The whole goal is to learn how to communicate with one another, connect with one another, but instead so often like people hold their test scores and then are like, this is me. And this is how you need to communicate and connect with me. Um, I'm not paying attention to any of your stuff, but like, here's all about me. <laughs> And then it backfires. I but anyway, not, I could not agree more. I actually, in the book, I, I have a whole section about them because I'm, I'm like you, like I, I appreciate them and I've taken most of them just because it's part of my work and, and everything, but they can be used as weapons. Yes. And, and they Crutches can also are weapons. Yes. Yes. And they can be used to keep us stuck in our stuff, 100%. you know, like, so yes. it, they have the, everything's light and dark. Yes. Everything you can be used for good or evil. You've got it. <laughs> you can use it as a bridge or a crutch. You got it. <laughs> or a weapon. <laughs> Um, so, um, yeah, I'm enjoying our conversation. This is awesome. So tell me, what do you do to stay motivated and moving during any particularly tough times? Mm, that's a great question. You know, I have my own practices and, and it, it's, it's funny because they're, when I talk about them, people are gonna be like, oh, she does these things every day. And I don't, I don't do these practices every day, but I do have a meditation practice. I am a yoga teacher. I'm more of a student now. I don't teach classes as much as I used to. So I am a yoga student, but I do yoga. I'm also a big walker. I watch a lot of law and order. I kind of feel like it gets me out of my head and I'm like, you know, at least I'm not, you know, going to Rikers or Attica in New York, you know, like I have these things that I do. Some of them are very um, spiritual in nature. That's a big part of who I am um, and a big part. Let me say it this way. Instead of who I am, it's a big part of what helps me. And the reason I want to say it that way is because not everybody like my husband is he's, he moves, he's a mover. He likes to walk around and move and he gets home and he's bored and he has to go play pickleball. He doesn't love meditation. And this isn't a problem. This isn't like, oh, you really need to do what I do. Everybody kind of has their own way. And even my meditation practice, I try and, you know, I don't always use the word meditation because it can kind of put people off. And I really just have time in the morning where it's very quiet. I'm by a window. I have an area with all these little things that I love, knickknacks, things from my kids. Some are spiritual in nature. Some are just post-its of like, you know, great quotes that I love. And I just sit and have my eyes closed and just kind of notice what I'm thinking and what I'm feeling. That's really all that. And that's really all meditation is, but sometimes people get really, gets really esoteric, you know, like we start to kind of lose our way. The rules but of meditation. The rules. <laughs> You're not doing it right. Follow you know, and I'm, and I'm putting that in air quotes. Protocols. Um, yeah. <laughs> yes. So, you know, I have a lot and I, I'm big on the thing that makes me, I'm, I'm more of an introvert than an extrovert in that I really do like to be alone. And when I've been alone for a while, I feel different. And so I can tell, you know, like when things get tough or I'm feeling, cause the thing that I'm probably most likely to experience is anxiety. That's kind of just, that's kind of what I was telling you about myself. That's what is most connected to feeling is that when you're like, oh my God, this feels high intensity and I can feel it in my body. And so anxiety is probably the thing I deal with the most. And I know that I need to be alone. And I know that I need to have more quiet and I know I need to say no to things. And I, I can feel 
the shifts. And what I will tell you is I turned 50 this year and I can say to all parents, regardless of your age, this is going to ebb and flow your entire life. You're never not going to have anxiety. You are never not going to have a day that's difficult. Like you're never done. You just learn how to maybe manage it better or decrease it or have a, a less of a lag time and getting to supporting yourself. Like I find I don't wait as long anymore because I'm like, oh, I know this feeling like I need I need to go on a walk or I need and I know what I'm experiencing. That's hard to do with little, little kids. I found that that was a little tougher and I had to figure out things, but now with older kids, I have a little more freedom. So I just, I, I notice myself, you know, that's kind of my, my work in my, in my book, I call it devotion. Like I have a devotion to myself, which is I can't do all the things I'm doing if I don't have a devotion to myself, because then I'll, I'll lose my way. You know, I will be not necessarily in my value system, but I'll be exhausted. I struggle with migraines when things get overwhelming. Like I got to take care of myself. I have to. Yeah. Thank you for all that. Yeah, that is all really good. Yeah, I think even in our self-care practices, we can get so stuck in the have tos, yep. which then takes away some of the value that we could gain. So um, do your best, do carve out some time for it, if at all possible. And yes, in those uh, you know, when your kids are younger, it is more difficult. Yeah. So thank you for all that. Well, just one final little bit of wisdom I'm going to ask you for, for those who are just maybe just getting started in um, making their own impact and, mm-hmm. and what words of wisdom would you have for them to kind of get moving and, and get it done? Well, I think the best choices I have made have been about doing what it's, it's it sounds so cliche when I say it, but doing what feels right to you and what feels good even if it's not the most common thing. And what I mean by good is not what society tells you is good. I'll just give you an example because it's better than speaking in generalities. When myself as a clinician and as somebody who supports people or as a podcaster, there's a lot of like weight around, like if you are a therapist or, you know, you need to like be serious and you need to have these kind of a niche and you need to have these things about you. And the truth is I'm just as interested in pop culture as I am in human behavior. And I love music and I love TV shows and movies. And so what I've been able to do for the last, especially as a a podcaster is I incorporate that into my work. Like I love to, we, Todd and I use movie clips on our podcast. We talk about things that we just watched on TV and relate it to human behavior. This is how I grew up this. And maybe this is very Gen Xer of me, but I just understood, you know, like I learned so much from E! True Hollywood Story and behind the music about what not to do. And I, and I know that sounds crazy, but I did. And so it's like, how do we utilize instead of being angry with the media or being like, that's awful. How do we learn from what we're watching and how do we learn what not to do? It's not always about achieving. So my point in sharing that is that I loved that. I love that. And a lot of people said, don't do that, Kathy. People won't take you seriously, you know, or even bringing in the spiritual components. I am a very, um, I'm very invested in things that are more holistic. This is how I live, you know? And some people are like, that might put people off. And I'm like, yeah, but if I don't say that's what I do, then I'm lying about what I do. But I don't think everybody needs to do it. It's just part of who I am. So bring yourself to your work, whatever that is. And you can, it's nuanced. You know, you don't need to overwhelm people with your life, but I feel I'm much more effective because if you met me, if you and I were at coffee right now, we'd have the same conversation. Like you wouldn't be like, oh, Kathy on on a podcast is different than Kathy in a coffee shop. It's just the same person. And I think that makes me less anxious because I feel like I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm the same person in all my roles. And therefore I don't have to worry about, you know, switching. 
<laughs> and so yeah. it's just, it feels in alignment, in integrity. That's awesome. You don't have to remember the different personas. Like, yes. Who, who am I here? Like, yeah. which, which nuance right. Should um, I be goes serious? with this yes. one? Yeah. Just be you. Well, and I mean, if you, then you will attract, you know, the energy yeah. will attract the people that are aligned with you anyway. And then, you know, and then you don't have the discomfort of attracting different people that aren't aligned and all those good things. And totally. I mean, this whole, I, I think if, if we kind of summarized, it's a self-awareness, the whole, everything we've been speaking about. And that self-awareness piece goes into when you start to work to make your impact, like just be you, you're not going to be some people's cup of tea. And, right. and is it empowering when you get to the place where you can be so confident, which is different than ego, because some people run from even confidence, ego and confidence are different. So it's not arrogance, it's just mm -hmm. confidence. And we all have gifts, which is beautiful. But if you can get to the point where you are just so confident in where your strengths are that it's super simple to be like, I'm horrendous at that. Instead yes. of trying to be all things to all people, just be you and yes. let that shine and don't waste energy on the worry and the, you know, the fear and the, yeah. And the keeping track that is required when you're not being you. Yes. I couldn't have said it better. Everything you just said, I'm like, yes. And that's as in the workplace, that's as a parent, that's in your partnership. Like there, the thing I love about universal principles, that's the name universal they apply no matter where you are. So you don't have to pretend you don't have to try too hard. You do, you just show up. And, and there is also the gift of our experience. Like you and I have like, it's, and I would say it's easier. I have practiced this for a long time with bits and starts and failures and successes. So it's now I feel I'll use your word confident in that. This is the best path. Even if things don't always work out the way I want to, this is still the best path for me. That's, that's the change. Yes. Awesome. Well, Kathy, I can't thank you enough for joining me today. You have shared such wisdom, sense information. I love the connection. I think we need to stay connected, but I agree. if you want to connect with Kathy further, uh, go to today's show notes. You can find those at defeatthedrama.com. Click on the podcast tab and go to episode 273. We'll have all of her social media there and I'm looking for, and then Zen Parenting Radio. Is that your website? I'm looking, yes. what's your website? Is it's it zenparentingradio.com. You got it. That's where everything okay. is. Yes. So that, okay. So if you're not going to the show notes and you have a quick way to jot something down, or this is an easy one, zenparentingradio.com will get you all the links. But anyway, we will have some uh, notes from the discussion today for today's show notes and all of her links. So please uh, do go visit there. And also, if you are struggling in any way, shape or form to make your own impact in the world, please visit my Impact Academy. You can find that by going to myimpactacademy.com for slash join you get a free 14 day trial where you can have full access to 100% of everything nothing held back there are audio video pdf downloads and also time with me every other week where you can get specific strategies for your circumstance so that's my forward slash join take advantage of the 30 plus years that I have in working with uh, leaders and teams and just helping people really excel in what they were put on this earth to do the world is waiting so thank you Kathy again it's been such a pleasure speaking with you today. Thank you. I loved our conversation. 